So I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. We're going to talk about baptism, and then Pastor Todd Wilkins is going to join me to talk about personal brokenness. Is this the same way of talking about sin? Stay tuned. Hey, welcome to Cross Defense. Good afternoon. Good evening. God's peace be with you. This is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, your host for the next hour, as we explore biblical themes and topics Fighting back against the devil's temptation to be bored with theology, I just think that, I mean, there's a lot of ways that the devil tempts us, but this is one that we often miss. The devil says, ah, God's word, that's not, that's not that exciting. There's so many more exciting things out there. He tries to dazzle our eyes and our senses with the things that do not give life, but the God's word gives life. Like, like, uh, like Peter said to Jesus, Lord, uh, he said, well, you leave. Jesus said to the disciples, are you guys going to leave as well? John chapter 6, and, and Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, that is Jesus, have the words of eternal life. God be praised that Jesus has words for us, words of eternal life. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that today. We're going to start by talking about baptism. Ooh, baptism. What a topic. We're going to explore it and, uh, and think about it together, look at some of the scriptures. And then uh, for the second part of the program, we're going to have uh, my guest and friend, Pastor Todd Wilkin, host of Issues Etc., is going to talk about an article that he wrote and the idea of being broken. What a, we hear that all the time in the church. We're, just, we're, we're broken people. What, do, what does that mean? Is it good? Is it bad to talk like that? Why, why is that language coming to the church? Uh, we're going to see what Pastor Wilkin has to say about that. But first, baptism. Whew, this is a big topic because, really, if you want to get into a theological fight with someone, you could just talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper. In fact, this is just, you know, I'm, I admit sometimes looking for theological fights, and I know, I know how to pick the fight. You just, you just talk about baptism because everybody, th this is one of those places where all the different churches have different doctrines. In fact, um, to, as a way to sort of work our way into the conversation, one of the things that people often say to me is, Pastor, the, I'm troubled because there's just so many different churches out there. There's so many different denominations. There's so many different uh, groups that claim to be Christian, but there's, there's these, all these divisions. There's hundreds, maybe even thousands of different Christian denominations. How are you supposed to tell? which one is right and which one is wrong how, how are you supposed to know which one's telling the truth and which and which one's not and people just almost throw up their arms in despair and say i'm not i'm not even going to try it's, it's in fact better not to think about theology at all there's a phrase that's that's made its way into the church uh, i think kind of growing out of this despair that we can't sort out which what's true and what's not and it's and, and people say well doctrine divides love unites so we need to come together not being concerned with the doctrine we just need to be concerned with loving one another and find our unity in that but Jesus wants us to be of one mind he wants us to have one doctrine and really when it comes down to it the differences between the churches um, there are not that many and one of the ways to to sort them out is to is to look at the doctrine of baptism. B baptism is an apex doctrine. I remember learning in um, like in biology that there's the, on the food chain there's the apex predator, and that's uh, on the top of the food chain. What I just saw a cartoon about the top of the food chain. So like for example, in the oceans, sharks are the apex predator. Nobody, nobody's going to eat a shark. Shark, the sharks are not eaten. They're only doing the eat, eating. Everything else. If you go to the very bottom, you have the thing that's only 
being eaten, and then it's everywhere in the middle. You're either being eaten or you're being or you're eating something smaller than you. But you get to the top, you have the apex predator. And one of the interesting things about the apex predator is that all of the trouble that's going on in the ecosystem finds its way into the apex predator. So, like, if there's mercury in the water, you might not be able to test it in the algae or in the minnows or in the little baby fish. But the higher you go up to, like, the tuna and to the sharks, then you get this higher concentration of the pollutant. Well, there's doctrines like that. There's apex doctrines. And errors anywhere else in the system start to show up when you get to the top of the food chain. And baptism is one of those apex doctrines. So you can see if someone's theology is right by talking about baptism. Now, th this is all a way of saying that as we look at all the huge variety of various different confessions that are out there, and we're trying to sort out what's the difference, and what's the difference between the Methodists and the Presbyterians, or what's the difference between the Catholics and the Evangelicals, or what's the difference between the Lutherans and the, and the, whoever, and the Pentecostals, or whatever, one of the, things, one of the places where we want to look is, well, what do they say about baptism, and how does that compare to what the Bible says? Now, I remember just personally that my own understanding of baptism has gone through a, a number of stages. I was baptized as a baby in the liberal Lutheran Church. But for a long time, I didn't believe that that baptism meant anything at all because I, I had been convinced theologically that baptism was a work that we were doing, our first act of obedience, and that you, you, couldn't, be a ba you couldn't be a baby and be baptized because you had to make a decision for Christ first. And I was on the edge of being rebaptized any number of times. I, I wasn't. Uh, I'll have to tell that story. Why not another time? It's a little bit embarrassing, so uh, I'll, I'll save it till I can tell the whole story in its fullness. But I even remember teaching people, hey, you know, baptism, you can't be baptized as a baby. Baptism follows your own decision, your own willful repentance. Baptism is your work where you show forth your faith in Christ. Now, I remember then in college, someone challenged me on that, and they said, where is that in the Bible? In fact, it was, uh, there was probably three or four of us in a conversation, a theological conversation, and we were talking about baptism, and this guy came out and he says, you know, baptism, according to the Bible, baptism saves us. And I said, no, look, that can't be the case. Baptism can't save us because baptism is a work and we're not saved by works. And he pointed out to me the text, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, which says that baptism now saves you. Now, what in the world am I going to do with that text? Well, I'll tell you what I did do. I went, I went and I opened up my Strong's Concordance, and I, I looked up every example of the word baptism in the Bible, uh, every time it was there, I think it's like 212 times the word baptism. Now, now, sometimes it's talking about John the Baptist or people being baptized, so not every one of those is a significant theological use. But I started to notice a pattern in the biblical teaching on baptism, and it's this, that in the Bible, baptism is right next door to salvation. Almost every time it's mentioned, baptism is in the context, in the neighborhood with God's saving grace. So that text, which is perhaps the most clear in 1 Peter 3.21, baptism now saves you, or Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, whoever does not believe will be condemned, Mark 16.16. 16. Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, be baptized for the forgiveness of sins, and the same thing comes in, in Acts chapter 10, be baptized and have your sins washed away, 
Paul says in Galatians 3, in baptism we put on Christ. Romans chapter 6 says we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, we also should walk in newness of life. So that text after text after text, we're connecting baptism with salvation. There's got to be some connection. Jesus said to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verse 5, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, now at this point, again, this is pushing back about 20 years ago, I was really in a theological pickle. Because I knew and was convinced from the Scriptures that salvation is by grace through faith, not by works. And I also could see from the Scriptures that baptism was doing something to deliver God's mercy or grace or something like that. And, but I couldn't fit those two together. How, how do you make a match up? Because there was something that stood in the way, and that was this, this obvious thing that, that was in my mind that said that baptism is a work. In, in other words, baptism is a work, therefore works cannot save, because we're, saved, we're not saved by works, we're saved by faith. That just, it stood in, the, I could not put baptism and salvation together, because this, this un- sort of spoken assumption that baptism was a work. And, and, and finally, someone came up to me and said, well, why do you say that baptism is a work? Does the Bible say that, a, that baptism is a work? Now, this is an important question. What, what is baptism according to the Bible? Is it a work that we do? I, in fact, I think this points us to one of the most important texts for us to understand about baptism, and it's in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, Ephesians chapter 5 is an important, beautiful chapter. It's talking about, it's a table, it's the table of duties, so it's one of these places where Paul is talking about how it goes with, uh, with all the different vocations and stations in life, how it is with workers and with and with uh, and with servants, how it is, and and bosses, and how it is with parents and children, and how it is with rulers and the ruled, how it is with husbands and wives, especially husbands and wives. And Paul in this section says he, that there's a there's a equation. He equates or parallels the uh, husbands and Christ and and wives and the church. So this is the text where Paul says, "Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her," and so forth. Now, right in the middle, Paul writes this. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, did you get that? Christ cleansed the church through the washing of the water and the word. That's baptism. It turns out that baptism is not our work at all. It's not what we are doing. It's what Christ is doing for us and to us. The Lord Jesus takes water combined with his word. It's not just normal water, but it's water combined with his word. And he uses that water and that word to cleanse us, to wash us, 
to purify us, to make us his own people, to, to forgive our sins, to rescue us from sin and death and the devil, to make us pure and holy without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He purifies us, and he purifies, and this is the point, he purifies us with means. He doesn't just, just drop his holiness right out of the air, whoosh, you're holy, you're pure, you're clean. No, he uses means to do it, and the means that he uses, at least in this text, Ephesians chapter 5, the way that he does, the tool, the instrument that Jesus uses to cleanse us from all of our sins and make us holy and beautiful in his sight is baptism. The washing of the water and the word. Now this is really quite wonderful. Now this is hard for a lot of people. There's a whole branch of Protestantism growing out of the Reformation that looks at baptism and sees it not as Jesus' work for us, but rather as our work for Jesus. I remember studying and learning in the Baptist faith and confession, for example, that baptism, again, is the first act of obedience. It's the testimony of the converted Christian heart. It's the outward sign of an inward grace. That's how the Reformed oftentimes will talk about the gift of baptism. But the Bible says really something quite different and something much more wonderful. That the Lord Jesus Christ looks down on us and sees us in our sin, but he just simply won't have it. He won't let us stay there in our corruption in our filthiness, in our sinfulness. He looks down on us with mercy, and he brings to us the great, this great gift of baptism. <laughs> that through baptism, he delivers to us the victory of his death on the cross. Now, it, this was hard. Again, I was telling the story. As I started to discover these Scripture texts and started to look at them, it was a very, very difficult thing for me to come around to. But in fact, when I did, when I finally understood that baptism is taught to me in the Scriptures, not it's given to me not as my own work but as the work of Jesus for me, then I found such great comfort in it. And then all of these great texts of baptism started to come clear. Baptism isn't a symbol of dying with Christ. It actually is a dying with Christ. Baptism isn't a symbol of putting on Christ. It actually is putting on Christ. Baptism isn't a symbol of being adopted into the Lord's family. It actually is being adopted. into. It's not a symbol of salvation. It is salvation that the Lord Jesus delivers his death to us by the cross. Now, let me put out one more distinction that was helpful for me, and I didn't get to this until much, much later, but I think this is a helpful way for us to think about it. There's a great, famous, old essay that Luther wrote called Against the Heavenly Prophets, and in that essay, he said there's a distinction between the winning of salvation and the delivery of salvation. salvation forgiveness of sins is won for us by the death of Jesus on the cross, and that alone, but the Lord Jesus delivers that salvation through various different means and with various different tools. He delivers his redeeming death to us by the gift of the preaching of the word, by the gift of the preaching of the forgiveness of sins, by the scriptures themselves, by baptism, and by the supper. So that in these things, the Lord comes right to us and says, you, you are baptized. You are mine. My name is on you. The name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've claimed you as of my own. I've got you so that when the devil comes to say oh that death of Jesus isn't for you there's a gap between you and the mercy of God we can say no 
No, devil, it's not true, because I have a word from Jesus that says this, that I am baptized, and if I'm baptized, then I've put on Jesus. If I'm baptized, I've died to sin and raised to newness of life. If I'm baptized, then I'm saved. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. All of these promises are delivered right, right to me, the sinner, in this great gift of baptism. Just glorious. There's a story when Luther was tempted by the devil that he came along and he wrote, carved in the table, I am baptized, and we know why. Because in baptism, God is true. Let every man be a liar, but God is true, and he's truly claiming us as his own. God be praised. <laughs> so I'd encourage you to go to the Bible and, and look at those verses on baptism. Take a look and see for yourself what they say. See how the Lord Jesus is pleased to give us these great gifts in baptism. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, but baptism. Dear friends, it's no work, no work of ours. It's the work of God who's always saving us, delivering us, giving us eternal life. <laughs> I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. You're listening to Cross Defense. We're going to go to the break. Stay tuned. It'll be short. I'll be back with Pastor Todd Wilkin. We're going to talk about what it means to be broken, what, what people mean when they say it, if it's good, if it's bad, if it's healthy. If it's not, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Each weekday on the Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Gary Duncan, the general manager of Worldwide KFUO. We promote our various programs. We ask you to listen to your favorite show. We ask you to support our broadcast ministry, and we thank you for that support. But maybe we don't ask you to pray for us as much as we should. Please pray for the staff, management, radio hosts, and volunteers here at Worldwide KFUO. Pray that the message of salvation through Christ is heard clearly by listeners around the world. Pray that we continue to reach into those areas that are hostile to the Word of God. Pray that KFUO continues to reach those people desperately needing to hear the good news message. And pray that God continues to bless us financially through the gifts we need to continue our broadcast ministry. Thank you for listening, supporting, and praying for Worldwide KFUO. You truly are appreciated. We are the messenger of good news. AM850 in St. Louis, worldwide at KFUO.org. In a day when numerous concerns about money and safety abound in this fallen world, there is still a beacon of hope in Christ Jesus spreading the gospel message of mercy. Worldwide, KFUO has been a good steward of donations, ensuring the safety of funds our listener-supported ministry receives. If you have questions about donating to keep this worldwide ministry healthy, send an email to gifts at kfuo.org. All right, welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuir, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, some other stuff going on. The, uh, we're always 
doing theological stuff. The main thing that's uh, coming up, we're getting to the end of putting together the list of all the folks coming to Spain with us. We're going to go to Spain and visit the missionaries June 2019. If you're interested in that, wolfmuller.co slash Spain 2019 is the way to find out more information. My guest for the rest of the show is Pastor Todd Wilkin, who is the host of Issues Etc., which is heard on KFUO Radio. From 2 to 4, I think, is the timing on that. It comes up right after this show. We'll have to switch back and get you going. Uh, and uh, and also, Associate Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Is that true, Pastor Wilkin? Uh, yes, it is. Trinity Lutheran Church, you've been there for... How, how long have you been there? Ten years. Wow. Nice work. Um, at Issues Etc., you've been host of Issues Etc. Oh, 20. Boy. 20 years. <laughs> you, you're not even old enough for that. Uh, yeah, that, I actually am. How, have you ever counted up how many hours of radio you ha- must have done in your life now? Uh, no, I, I don't even want to do that calculation. <laughs> that might depress me a little bit. Uh, you guys, I mean, you guys are just cranking out uh, great, great stuff. And um, I, I don't know, uh, Pastor Wilkin, if I've ever told you this story, but th- this happens. I remember very distinctly. I was... I was signing up for some conference somewhere, and uh, and I they asked my name, and I said, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. And they said, um, <laughs> they, they looked up and they said, oh, uh, I listen to Table Talk Radio. I love it when you're on issues, etc. <laughs> so apparently they, uh, uh, they, they enjoy issues, etc. just makes everybody better. That's just great, and you do a great job at that. That's what we're here for, just to make I, everybody sound great. But I want to I, I want to flip the table. In some ways, this is kind of backwards today. But you wrote a uh, a really helpful article on brokenness, and so I want to I want to hear some thoughts from you on that. That's what we're going to do uh, for the rest of this show, uh, because you picked up on this oh, a cliche that makes its way into the Christian church just about everywhere. B- people are now talking about being broken. We're all broken people. We're that we're the house. Uh, for, for brokenness, we we want to be. It has to do with this idea of being authentic, or in some ways embracing our sins. What, what? When did you start noticing this language of brokenness, and and when did it trigger an alarm for you? Well, I think it's been in the Christian parlance probably for twenty years in various forms, but I noticed it actually with my with myself, and about, I would say about five years ago. I, I was using this word quite often, broken, and I finally just stopped and asked myself, what do I mean by that? Do I mean what Scripture means when Scripture says that a broken and contrite heart you will not despise, O God, or the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit? It, it, is that how I'm using the word, or am I using it in some other way? And if I'm using it in, in a way other than the way Scripture uses it, that's a problem. Our this is all kind of has to come under the general framework that the way we use words as Christians ought to be shaped by, governed by, and informed by the way God uses words. So if we're going to use a word like broken, we want to make sure that we're using it the way God uses it in Holy Scripture. To speak the language of Holy Scripture is one of the primary goals of being a, a, a Christian is to be, because the way you talk about things is ultimately the way you're going to think about things and how you're going to believe about things. And if you're using a word in a way different than God uses it, you're going to speak differently than God. 
You're going to think differently than God, and ultimately you're going to believe something different than what God's Word has to say. So I asked that basic question, Lutheran question, what does it mean? And what I discovered was I was using the word broken to describe my fallen state, the fact that I can't get my act together, that my life is to one degree or another dysfunctional or messed up. It was all kind of vaguely connected to my sin, but in such a vague way that it was really not helpful at all. And what I discovered is that consistently from beginning to end, when Scripture uses that word broken or brokenness, it uses it to describe not how messed up my life is or how messed up I am because of my sin. It uses it to describe repentance. Now, if we understand repentance to be God's work in us through his word, he works, it's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. He takes unrepentant people and makes them repentant by the preaching of his word, then then we need to understand, we can't simply use the word broken or brokenness to describe the general dysfunction of our lives because of our sin. We need to use it the way God uses it, which is, if I say I am broken, I should be saying that I have been made repentant by the word of God, by God himself. So, 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 so yeah, contrast that for me. What, so, um, what, what is it, if I say I'm a broken person versus I'm a sinner, what, what is the difference, at least the way we popularly <laughs> use it? Well, again, we're, then we're employing a metaphor there that may not do the job we think it's doing. To say I'm a sinner is to mean that I have transgressed God's will and law, or I have failed to meet his will and law, either a transgressor or a uh, a sinner in kind of that classic scriptural sense, which is f- missing the mark or failing to reach the mark. To say you're broken can mean just about anything you want it to. It's generally negative, but it's hardly specific to God's will or law. I mean, we know what God's will or law is. It's the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments might show, it will show us our sinfulness and will describe for the Christian what Christian freedom looks like. But if you want to use the word broken to say I've broken the commandments, then you're, then you're back on the right track again. But just to describe your brokenness, it might, des- it might describe the fact that you can't balance your checkbook or that you have a hard time maintaining relationships with other people or that it could mean just about anything. And I think it's, it's vagary is one of its dangers there. Also, sin requires a savior. Brokenness doesn't necessarily require a savior. Because you can fix broken things. You can repair or replace broken things. But sin has only one solution, and that is the death of Jesus on the cross. Brokenness might have any number of solutions. So the point here is that it's just too vague to be useful and probably too vague, just vague enough to be dangerous. It gets us away from the language that God uses in Scripture and puts us on a different uh, linguistic path, one that's probably more, has more to do with our therapeutic culture, where we can talk in psychological, emotional, and psychiatric terms about someone being broken. And in that realm, you don't have to be that specific, because the the answer is always going to be therapy. This is 
there's going to be there's there's a handful of directions I want to go with this, but one one of the, that I just want to kind of pick up and and underline is that um, the the preaching of God's law that shows us to be sinners is is in reference to God Himself, not in reference to other people, not in in reference to some sort of abstract standard that sits out there, but in reference to God. So if we so if if I ask the problem, well, what or the question, what is my problem? The, the, there's a way that brokenness says, well, my problem is me, or my problem is culture, or my problem is my upbringing, or my problem is my inadequacy, or something like this. But, but the law is going to say, when it says, what is my problem? It's going to say, my problem is God's God because of my sin. So the, pro- so the problem is not ultimately me i mean it is because i'm a sinner but the problem that i have is god's holiness and his wrath over sin and and that means that the only hope i have if god is the problem because of his holiness and my sin then the only solution that i have is also going to be provided by god i cannot save myself i can't put humpty dumpty back together it's it's not just a matter of fixing what's broke it's a matter of saving what's damned and so brokenness lets you get off the hook of it lets you get off the hook of God's wrath. What, what do you think it, about that? Well, it's it's trying to describe sin in a way that does not reference God or His or His will. And and look, how do you know what sin is? Sin. The only way we know what sin is, as Saint Paul reminds us, I wouldn't have known what coveting was until the law said, "You shall not covet." And then we discover that covetousness is woven in and through all of our thoughts, words, and deeds. And we discover only only by God's revelation through his law what sin actually is. Brokenness is an entirely subjective uh, idea that doesn't doesn't have this, the Christian standing before God necessarily. Right. I might right. just feel broken in relationship to my next door neighbor who has a who seems to have his life together better than than I do. That's you, that's that's before man. That's not before God. There's and there's this way is that this this move to abstraction. I really love this point, Todd. That that brokenness is an abstraction because what what that allows us to do is then to provide a different standard. Because it, so here's the world that just hates God's standard. I mean, it hates the Ten Commandments. People are going to go to jail pretty soon just because we say, "Hey, you shouldn't commit adultery." The, uh, the, God's ordering of the world is so distasteful to to the world and to our own culture. That the Ten Commandments are are vitriolically opposed. But if I reduce sin to an abstraction, not against the Ten Commandments, but against whatever, then I can replace the standard with something new. Now, this lets me get along with the people who hate the Ten Commandments and say, no, look, I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. What I'm saying is that we're all broken. We're all incomplete. We're all falling. Pick whatever standard you want. You don't keep your own standard or whatever. And it and it. What it gets the church off the hook for preaching the clarity of the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, it turns the church into kind of misery loves company, rather than sinners need Jesus, and <laughs> and you know, if if all it is is saying we're going to share our mutual stories of brokenness, and it's very interesting, Brian, how quickly the sharing of our individual stories of brokenness, kind of my personal testimony of brokenness, becomes more broken than thou. 
I'm more broken than you are. It becomes a crazy kind of one-upsmanship between in in this kind of sharing of mutual brokenness. I'm not saying that Christians ought ought not to be authentic about what their lives are really like. I'm not saying that Christians ought to, you know, tack on this fake smile and say my life is just fine. No, Christians of all people ought to be read, readily admit to their dysfunction and to the messiness of their lives and to that that both their kind of temporal mistakes and their sins before God, all of those things ought to be read, readily on our tongues whenever we're talking with anybody. Uh, we are just as much sinners as anybody else, but sinners, not just not just as much broken, which could mean just about anything. You know, I had the opportunity back in 2005 to interview uh, the late Robert Schuler. You remember Robert Schuler of, the, yeah, of sure. the Crystal Cathedral and the Hour of Power. And uh, during the interview, he refused to use the word sin. I even called him on it and he got kind of angry with me. Um, <laughs> but he was willing to use terms like guilt and shame, these subjective feeling-based uh, ideas but he wouldn't say sin because sin, he said, if you do that, you are going to, you're going to make people feel ashamed. And for him, the, the man's real problem isn't sin. Man's real problem is that he feels ashamed or he has a sense of shame or guilt based upon an, a too low view of himself. So my, my concern with the whole brokenness phenomenon is that it gets us away from that biblical language and we do end up substituting the word sin or substituting the word broken or some variation of it for sin gets us into that realm of vagary that you were talking about and then it gets us away from the objective divine standard which is i would modify what you said a few minutes ago just slightly i would not say our problem is god god is never our problem our problem is always our sin we are we ourselves are our problem but it's the, it's a problem that has a particular shape that only god can diagnose and you know your psychologist your therapist can tell you that you're broken but only god can show you through his word that w what your real problem is which is you are a sinner in need of a savior yes that's right this, this is really, i i remember the old evangelical days where people we were putting together our testimony you had to write your testimony and um I, I, Carrie tells this story. She was at camp and she wrote her testimony, which was something like, I can never remember a time when I did not give thanks to God for the salvation he gave, he has given me in, in Jesus Christ. And um, she turned it in and she failed because the youth group, uh, group guy said to send it back. And he said, no, you have to have some worse sins that Jesus fixes. Now, this is the old way of doing it. It seems like the brokenness is it just takes the first part of that you got to have tons and tons of sin now never mind getting straightened up and and living uprightly now but you got to have tons and tons of sins to prove that uh that God is merciful you got to be uh, like you said it's a it's kind of a brokenness contest everyone's racing to the bottom and and what happens there and i think this has been proven by the more recent writings and activity of a guy like Tullian Tavidgen. He was a, a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor, Coral Ridge. He was the successor to a very famous uh, preacher there, and he's obviously the grandson of Billy Graham. And he had a, this stellar career kind of Christian celebrity going until it was discovered that he had committed adulter adulteries and that uh, was eventually removed from 
the ministry and kind of had this public disgrace, but he's turned his whole concept of brokenness into a, a cottage industry. And it's not unusual to read in his writings um, and, and of those who kind of follow in his wake this, uh, I understand God's grace more because I've sinned more than you. Or if they, if they don't say I've sinned more, I've I've suffered the consequences of my sin more or something like that. And it becomes this, as I said, kind of this one-upsmanship where one's access to God's grace almost becomes dependent on your degree of brokenness. <laughs> and it becomes a crazy kind of means of grace where I I used to think I understood God's forgiveness and then I had to declare bankruptcy. My I cheated on my wife and I destroyed my family. Oh, now I really understand God's grace. And what does that do for the average Christian sitting in a pew who's by solely by God's grace has has enjoyed 25 years of wedded bliss? We're going to take that question up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Cross Defense. I'm the host, uh, your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. This is Todd Todd Wilkins, my guest, uh, host of Issues, etc., talking about the phrase, I'm broken. What does it mean to be broken? Stay tuned to the break. We'll be right back. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their metal against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. Concord Matters is a show seeking agreement in Christian confession. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen, one of the hosts of Concord Matters, heard on Worldwide KFUO each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central and a repeat on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Central. We take an in-depth look at the Book of Concord with some fine Lutheran theologians. Concord Matters, live on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I think one of the most amazing, th I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, by the way, one of the most amazing things is to worship with Christians in other places in the world. I've, I've taken people to, to Israel, to Germany, to Greece, to Turkey. We've done that, and it's just, it's so fantastic and eye-opening. We're going to do it again this summer. We're going to go and visit our missionaries in Spain. We're going to tour around Spain for 11 days, and while we're there, we're going to spend a weekend in Seville to see the work of the Lutheran Church being born in Spain. If you're interested or you know someone that's interested, you can find all the information on the website wolfmuller.co forward slash Spain 2019. That's W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot C-O slash Spain 2019. Hope you can join us. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in rural Colorado. I have Todd Wilkin, Pastor 
of uh, whoa, Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois, and host of Issues Etc., who wrote an article called Personal Brokenness. How, it, uh, Pastor Wilkin, if people want to get a copy of the article, what's the best way to do that? They can subscribe absolutely free to the Issues Etc. journal. They just go to our website, issuesetc.org, and there's a red button on the right-hand side. If they click there, all they got to do is enter their email address, and they'll be subscribed to the free online journal. It's in the, the latest one. I... I I want to just say this before we dig back into the conversation that I, I don't know how much, uh, I mean, I to, th- to thank you for the work that you and Issues Etc. have done in promoting and teaching uh, God's Word and the theology and being a trumpet of the good news to the world. Um, ev- everywhere I go, uh, people talk to me about Issues Etc. and how, and how helpful it has been for them and what a great resource it is. So if you're listening and you haven't uh, availed yourself uh, to issues etc issues etc dot org is the website you can go there and and listen to millions of hours of stuff and and thanks for the work that you guys you and uh, and Jeff and Craig do over there at issues Todd thanks well the real strength of this show is the guests I mean and I abs- I say that with absolute seriousness you're one of the best Brian and um and it's that is the strength of the show it's what a lot of people don't understand uh, about what I do they think I get paid to talk. And I, I, I don't I get paid to listen and and simply ask the questions that the listeners are, are rolling around the listener's head. And the strength of the show is these this broad spectrum, this excellent stable of guests that we've been able to build up over the last 25 years. So the guests are the ones who get the credit for that one. Issuesetc.org, you can listen to what I mean, just whatever you want. I mean, whatever you're thinking about, just search it, put a search in there in the on demand archives, and it's it's there. You'll find multiple episodes. It's just just a r- incredible resource. So it's fantastic. Now, you were talking about how there's this race to the bottom with this idea of brokenness. I'm more broken than you, or even that you have to have this personal sense of brokenness before you can know God's grace or speak of God's grace. So you get an authority from, it's like drawing a a theological authority from your own sinfulness. Yeah, it it is. Now, there's a sense in which, let's just be careful, there's a sense in which we do learn from our, we learn far more from failure and mistakes in life than we do from successes. That's the general principle that I adhere to. You, You learn more. So, do people who have made a lot of mistakes uh, uh, or people who have, let's say, uh, we'll go back to Tully and Tavidjan as just an example because he makes himself an example. I'm not speaking out of school here. Someone who has effectively destroyed his career and his life and his marriage and his family, do they have some insight into, could they have some insight into what got them to that point wherein they could say, look, I'm going to tell you how I got to that point. I'm going to tell you um, what I what I did to court my sin and what I did to lure other people's other people into it, and the consequences it had in my life. He could write a book. Okay, there's no doubt about that. It would probably be well worth reading and a good warning to people who are flirting with the same kind of activity and behavior that he was up to. Okay, but does that mean that there's a deeper insight than say Grandma? who's sitting in the pew and has never committed adultery uh, outwardly against her husband and who has, you know, managed not to destroy her career or her family by God's grace. Does that mean that someone who 
kind of took the path of totally into vision has a deeper insight into God's grace or somehow gets it more than that woman sitting in the pew? Absolutely not. If we hold to the truth that that the what the apostle tells us about God's law, which is that it shuts all mouths and holds all accountable, regardless of their level of dysfunction or brokenness in their lives, then we have to come to the conclusion that all are equally sinners in God's eyes, and all then have equal access to the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. They don't the more you sin doesn't get you more. That's not how God does his math, so to speak. Uh, the, the, the sins of one sinner require just as much of Jesus' blood as the sins of another, regardless of how their lives may look outwardly or how dysfunctional their lives may be. And I think that's probably my biggest concern about the whole idea of brokenness. I flirted with the idea of calling this a cult of brokenness, but I knew that that would probably make it difficult for people to get past. So I just called it personal brokenness, but it really can become a, a cult of brokenness. What I mean, one of the things that really concerns me here is, and we're getting around to it, Brian, and that is that it does become another gospel. And it becomes another gospel, not in that it denies the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross for sinners, but that in its worst cases, it denies that 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 uh, full sufficiency of Christ applies to every Christian equally. Hmm. And it's, and it's a different gospel, not in that it, um, in that it fails to present the story of Christ's death and resurrection for sinners. Although crazy, I've been noticing how often that gets left out in the cult of brokenness. It becomes all about my brokenness, and then there's a vague reference to God forgives us, and sometimes the cross is lost. But in the best case, it doesn't deny the, the story of the Savior, but it, it takes the story of the Savior, and instead of it being the picture, it merely becomes a frame of the picture, which is my brokenness. The real picture I show people is my brokenness, and Jesus is in there. If he's in there, he's kind of just the frame around the picture rather than the picture itself. So it becomes another gospel. We, we need to really take seriously the apostle's warning against another gospel. The one he's warning us against in the book of Galatians is a, is a gospel that is based in uh, man's works. So he says, if someone comes to you and presents a gospel other than the one I presented to you, let him be accursed. We need to remember that Paul is not limiting perversions of the gospel to that one way of perverting it. There are other ways to pervert the gospel and to present a different gospel than simply the one he's responding to in Galatians. You make a great point in the article that one of the dangerous preachings that gets into evangelicalism now is this, the preaching of your best life now, the Joel Osteen sort of thing, where every, the Christian life, everything's going great, and so you go around with this sort of plaster, plastered smile on your face, and, and everything's great, and, and choose Jesus, it'll make life better for you, and this sort of thing. And you point out that this is the, whatever that is, this is the anti of that. It's, it's almost like the, uh, the, the photo negative. It's the, it's the overreaction against the best life now preaching. So, so you got the, the false gospel of the best life now, and then in brokenness, you have the false gospel of your worst life now. 
Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> it's you know it's it's turning that evangelical cliche on its head and thereby toppling off the horse on the other side. So what happens there then is that, but you notice the commonality of both of them. The good news in the Joel Osteen example is all about me. And the good news in the brokenness cult is still all about me. It's just they're saying different things about me, but it's still, the story still becomes primarily about me. And I call it theology is autobiography. Hmm. But taking up the, your bigger principle there, Brian, Christians do theology not in reaction to – they do good th- theology not in reaction to bad theology. The, Christians do theology from God's word, not as a reaction or a counterbalance to bad theology. And the Reformation is a perfect example of this. The, the Reformers didn't say Roman Catholics do this, therefore we're not going to do that, or we're going to do the opposite of that. Roman Catholics teach this, therefore we're going to teach the opposite of that to either counterbalance or react to it. No, they said, let's go back to the Word and see what God says about it. And if the Roman Catholics are right, good for them. When you're right, you're right. And when they're wrong, we're going to say on the basis of God's Word where they're wrong. And then we're going to teach what God's Word says, not teach kind of an anti uh, anti-Rome uh, version of what they're doing. Just staying balanced on the horse requires that the Christian's theology be shaped by God's word, not by all the bad theology out there. You know, there there was a time when Lutherans kind of, uh, or they have, there have been times when when Lutherans have said, "Well, it, we're just we're just not Catholics." That's how you understand what Lutheran means. It doesn't tell you anything actually about what Lutherans actually believe. And nowadays the fad is, well, Lutherans are not evangelicals. Well, in fact, we are both Catholic and evangelical. And we, but we do not confess the opposite of what someone else is confessing wrongly. We confess what God's word says. And that keeps us on top of the horse. You have, I think you've had on your show, uh, you've interviewed Jay Budashevsky, uh, yes. commentator, and he, one of his things, when he talks about the revenge, of the revenge of the conscience, he talks about how we want to set up an anti to everything that God sets up, and one of the things is an anti-reconciliation. So what the gospel offers us is a true reconciliation of the sinner with God by the atoning death of Jesus on the cross, but what we want to set up is an anti-reconciliation where sinners get together and commiserate and it takes the edge off. So I'm really bad. And when I see that guy who admits how bad he is, it makes me feel better about how bad I am. So yeah. you set up this sort of, well, it's, an, it's, a, it's a fellowship of, of sinners. And, it, and it, does, it, it, it does provide a false comfort to the conscience. When I see somebody who's really, really screwed up, and maybe I even look up to that guy, then, it, then maybe I don't feel bad for my own sin. But that's a false comfort, right? It's absolutely a false comfort, and it's based in, as we started out the conversation, in, in uh, taking one's view of the self that is always in, that is in comparison to someone else. So uh, I, I go to the, let's say there's a church of brokenness. There probably is one out there. I say it in a <laughs> joking way, but I'm sure that there's a church of brokenness out there someplace. And I get there, and my primary comfort is, ah, I'm not as screwed up as I think I was because I found all these other people who are equally dysfunctional, or even some of them are actually more dysfunctional than me, but I'm kind of in the mean there. I'm at the top of the bell curve, so I'm not as bad as I thought I was. And 
And so that's that's misery loves company. That's not sinners seeking a savior or and there's a huge difference between those two things. But superficially, Brian, it can sometimes superficially it can sometimes initially look like the same thing. But there's a very big difference between someone coming in and saying, all right, we're all going to confess our sinfulness to God as a means of kind of mutually assuring ourselves you're not as bad as you think you are <laughs> or you're, you're come on you, we're all messed up here yep. and making that very same words that very same confession of sin seeking absolution for that sin where yeah, is there a certain comfort human comfort in knowing that you're sitting in the the pew with someone who is as sinful as you are yeah but that's not going to get you out of the grave <laughs> that's not going to uh deal with this the issue that we are held accountable to god you need a savior for sin we can say we are all equally sinful and equally in need of a savior but we do not go confessing our sins to each other in order to kind of say don't worry i'm just as bad as you that has a certain kind of psychological benefit but that's a whole different thing than I need Jesus just as much as you. Pastor Todd Wilkin is host of Issues Etc. Uh, if you again, if you don't know that show, issuesetc.org, go and check it out. Uh, Todd, thanks for being my guest. Happy to do it, Brian. Thanks. You got it. Uh, I'm. Uh, you're listening to Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. You, we broken sinners need a fixer, but. But sinners need a savior, which is what we have in Jesus. The problem with brokenness is that it doesn't go far enough. And that my, my problem is not just that I'm broken. My problem is that because of my sins, I'm an enemy of God. My, my problem is that, I'm, that I deserve an eternity in God's wrath. And the solution for that is not just that God fixes me up. It's that Jesus dies for me, that he sheds his blood for me, that he takes my place under God's wrath that he's stricken and smitten by God, that he's forsaken by God, so that I won't be. That, that's the real problem, and that's the real solution that the Bible gives. Except no substitutes. Law and gospel, and the full comfort of the death of Jesus. That's what God wants for you. Thanks for listening to Cross Defense. Tune in next week. Talk to you then. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.